Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Podcast, or you can subscribe on your favorite podcast service like Apple Podcasts or CastBox. Views expressed by participants are personal. From selling domain registrations to media buying and planning to building and managing advertising trading desks, Tessa Ohlendorf has quite the expansive resume. But if you look back at the early part of her life, you'd be hard-pressed to find a direct path to the ad tech world. Born and raised in Toronto, Tessa's early passions were rooted in photography and art, but it was philosophy that captured her mind and would become the cornerstone of her university education. After university, Tessa entered the world of internet marketing, holding positions at Tukhouse and Host Compare. She would eventually pack a suitcase for New York City and the life of a Madison Avenue media executive. While in New York, Tessa held senior roles at Cross Media and Convergence Point, all while starting her own agency, Online Media Management. The Great Recession of 2008 brought Tessa back home to Toronto, where she went on to hold senior roles at Mindshare. She's the founding employee of Cadrion's Canadian office and is now leading Mighty Hive's expansion into Canada. Mighty Hive provides programmatic solutions to clients end-to-end. We're fluent across display, video, search, social, analytics, data and cloud systems, reporting dashboards, and dynamic creative technologies. We execute, train, and consult across all of these. Mighty Hive works with all types of clients from small to very large, agency to client direct. Mighty Hive has become a trusted partner for brands looking to take on some or all of their programmatic in-house. Mighty Hive Canada opened up in September 2018 to service all of the Canadian brands and agencies here locally. So I'm the managing director of Mighty Hive here in Canada, and my job is to run and grow the business here and to deliver a really high level of support to all our local clients who've been serviced out of the U.S. previously. Currently, our team is 10 people, um, mostly made up of account management team members, but we're also adding to that. We're hiring six additional people in the area of sales and analytics and search. We also have a data scientist on, uh, on site and an HR operations team as well. Let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from Toronto, downtown in the Annex in Trinity Bellwood. So I grew up uh, first on Albany Avenue in uh, in the Annex, and then uh, my parents split up. So I ended up moving with my mom and between my mom and my dad's house, and she was on Crawford. What is your oldest memory of Toronto then? So with the areas that I grew up in, I mean, I was talking about this with a friend of mine last night. A lot of the kids uh, would play on the streets, and so I had a lot of friends on the street uh, where my dad's house was on Albany, and I used to walk to school by myself with my brother. Um, But also, when we moved into the Trinity Bellwoods area with my mom, the park was much different. Trinity Bellwoods Park was not at all the kind of place that it is now with lots of people drinking and having parties there and, like, tons of people. It um, It was a place you didn't go after dark, The pit was used for, like, festivals, like Portuguese festivals a couple times a year. Now it's all an affordable property and hipster coffee bars. Yep, lineups for ice cream places, and yeah. What were your interests or hobbies growing up? I did a lot of art. Um, I did a lot of art in junior school, but also photography in high school. And then I majored in studio art at Concordia for my first year um, before doing some traveling and then ending up in a philosophy program. Did you have any influences growing up? Anyone you looked up to that really helped shape who you are now? I've thought about this a lot. There, um, there are a lot of, there were a lot of adults in my life and especially women. So my parents split up when I was five and the, the two girlfriends that my dad had before he, he, he has his current partner were very different, um, and very much influential. One was, 
uh, a doctor and also a free spirit, but the other one was an artist. And um, so both of them, both of them gave me very different pieces of advice. I mean, I have a great relationship with my mom and with my dad now too. Um, But as a kid growing up and then in my teenage years, I got a lot of perspective from those two adult women in my life who led very different lives but um, one of them the artist one was a psychotherapist as well so she was a great person to talk to for me as I was growing up and then it really helped to know a doctor who also had like professional experience and like I didn't know anybody like that. Do you think you grew up or matured a little bit quicker than say your peers because you had so many adults in your life? That's a good question. I think maybe um, my dad also being an independent type pushed me to be very independent. I think both my parents did. I think that was pretty common growing up in the 70s and 80s was was the big push for independence. And then I, I also moved out of the house when I was 17, so I lived by myself and finished high school then. That was probably either an indication that I was already headstrong and independent or um, it certainly helped me get there. So what was your first job then? I, I was a nanny and a babysitter for a long time, but I, I think my first job in a place like at a store was Blueberry Hill on Bloor Street near Bathurst. So I flipped burgers and <laughs> cleaned up tables and stuff. Was that the same Blueberry Hill that was at Ontario Place? Mm, maybe that was a chain and they had the one in Ontario had Place. Okay. Yeah. So that, that name does ring a bell for me for burgers in Toronto. After high school, you went to university and you have quite the story there. Your first year you landed at Concordia. What made you want to leave Toronto and go to Montreal? Yeah, so that was a good question. I actually went out to Halifax to visit NASCAD there as well, but it was too small. I think being in Toronto and being so um, so much of a city person, I was looking for another big city. Unfortunately, there isn't a bigger city in Canada, so I saw that at NASCAD. But it was just way too small for me, um, and Montreal seemed like a good alternative to Toronto. You took a break after your first year. Why did you take a break? So while I was at Concordia, um, I was I was still a fervent photographer. So I ended up doing um, stills photography for movies. And in meeting some of the people that were filming in Montreal and working nights filming on set, uh, I ended up meeting some uh, actors and a producer, director from L.A. And so I took a year off to do stills photography and do some traveling. Any movies that we know of, any Hollywood films, or were a lot of them the local Quebec French films? They were small, sort of B-list movies. One was called Strip Search. Um, the the director was Rod Hewitt, and um, Mackenzie Gray was one of the actors. I'm familiar with Mackenzie Gray. Are you? Yep. Yeah, so he's from Toronto also. Let's see. And Pam Greer was in that. She's, she's a really great actress. She had a cameo appearance there, I think, or a small part. And then I've since seen her in several movies since then. She was on a Netflix series, too, recently about um, about family. I forget the name of it. You left the country, though, at one point. You went to the University of Western Sydney. What made you go halfway around the world for school? So in my time off between Concordia and New York, uh, I did photography, and I also traveled. So I ended up going through Europe and into Asia and into Australia, and I loved Australia so much that I decided to try to get back there. So when I went back to York, I... I tried really hard to get into the exchange program, and I did. I was a really good student. I graduated with honors every year. I was full-time, cum laude, whatever, all the, you know, plus 90% and everything. So I was pretty good at that. I got into the exchange program, and then um, there were three people in the exchange program that ended up going to Australia. So I did. I got that, and then I just I dropped out <laughs> once I got to Australia. I think I went to, like, 
two months of classes before I finally just took some more time off there. What was so seductive about Australia? I was very much interested in traveling to places with different languages and different cultures. And I had been six months basically through Europe and Thailand. And But when I got to Australia, I never really wanted to go to Australia. I thought it was too Western and too much like Canada. But upon arriving there, and my brother was also there at the time, there was Australia was beautiful. It was It was a little bit of a relief to be in a place where there was English spoken. And I think maybe that was what made it a little bit easy, but it was also just a really beautiful place being by the ocean. Just like there were parrots flying around my window, like the cockatiels with the white, with the white bodies and the yellow tops. And then these parrots all along the beach and the people there were amazing. I just had such a great time. I wanted to go back. Going back to your time at York though, you studied philosophy and you've mentioned that you really wanted to find the best philosophy program possible. What attracts you to philosophy? What is it about that program? Yeah, in deciding what I wanted to do instead of art, I I basically looked through all of the course catalogs and I read everything. I Did I want to do engineering or biology or whatever? I just started looking through and finding things that sounded interesting. When I got to the philosophy courses, most of them sounded interesting. And I think it was because it was a lot of questioning and thinking about things that don't necessarily all have answers. It, it felt like that was the one place where you could still do a lot of thinking and exploring and being creative and um, and it didn't always have to be the right answer. It was just the process of thinking things through. York at the time had a really strong philosophy of mind program. So it wasn't so much like Plato and Aristotle and old school ethics, although I did study ethics there too, which has influenced me. But it was about um, what's the brain? How does it work? What makes you different from me? Why are we very different people? Like, how do you explain personality where does personality come from there's all these different theories of like consciousness what is consciousness does it reside in the brain all of that kind of stuff and it felt like you were at the beginning or at the forefront of something new because it was still unproven like you we still just don't really understand what consciousness is even now during your time in university though you found your first gig in media tell us about your time at is it two cows two cows yeah so a very long time ago i worked at two cows they were a domain registry and they offered software downloads. And at the time, the company was really growing quite a lot. It was an exciting place to work. It was in Liberty Village. I don't actually know if they're still there or not. They might have moved to Flint. Met some great people who I'm still friends with. And that kind of really got me a, a toehold in the industry. And from there, or I should say after graduation, your first full-time gig in media was as the site manager at Host Compare. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so after graduating with this philosophy degree, um, I couldn't find a job as a photo editor. That's what I wanted to do, is um, work as a photo editor for a magazine or a newspaper, but I couldn't find anything. So at a certain point, I just ended up emailing every single person that I knew, and it was that job at Two Cows that I think qualified me for a role at, at Host Compare, and that, that was a pretty straightforward sales and trafficking role. I was just, uh, I was selling ad space to companies like register.com and one-on-one, um, because people needed websites. That, that was the time when everybody was building websites and they would compare these different web hosting companies and find the right one. And yeah, so it was a nice little tidy exercise in online advertising. So did you find that job through a connection then at two cows or was that something you just applied for online or sent a resume in for? Uh, somebody recommended me for the role. They said that they heard, the, and I can't remember who this is, 
they said that they heard about a role there. They put me in touch with somebody. I went in for the interview, and that was it. And that, while that internet boom was taking off, you landed at Click Effect. Tell us a bit about your time there. Click Effect was really interesting, and I, I think that was the time that I learned the most about media, media analysis, how to calculate CPAs, and uh, Click Effect specialized in casino bingo poker. It was an agency that focused around the online pay-for-play gaming, which isn't legal in Canada anymore. Uh, eventually, it, it had to close because the legislation changed. But that business was extremely CPA-focused, and my job there was to look over tons and tons of media reports to find the best sources of traffic for for good CPA. And um, we also had portals that we would also drive traffic to. So I got to understand what it was like to drive traffic to his site as well as to work on the agency side selling leads and selling CPA traffic to others. So this was your first foray into media buying and planning then? Yeah, it was, it was a huge learning curve. It was amazing and it was really, really hard. And the people who ran Click Effect were very seasoned media buyers even at that time and they really knew what they were doing. So I did learn a lot. But from there, you moved to the Big Apple. Tell us how you landed at Cross Media and why New York City? I had a U.S. passport. My mom was born in San Francisco, and so that made me an American citizenship citizen, and I had citizenship to use. So I went through a bad breakup, and I decided to leave Toronto and try uh, something new in New York. I applied for some jobs, and I got an interview across media. I flew down there. I had an interview. I got the job. I came home. I packed up my my stuff, and I moved two weeks later. So Cross Media happens to be a client right now for Mighty Hive, which is a small world. Why did you pick New York, though? You mentioned your mother had been born in San Francisco. With that American passport, you could have gone anywhere in the States, and you could have gone anywhere in Canada, too. Yeah, I think the appeal of New York is so enticing, and when you're when you're in your 20s and 30s, like, you know, New York is, is just such a marketing exclamation mark. There's, everybody knows that you can make it in New York if you try, and there's so much buzz about it. It's also so much closer to Toronto than California, and there were a lot of work opportunities in media. So there there were a lot also in San Francisco, but as I, I guess I'm, I'm a city girl, and the same reason I didn't want to move to Halifax California is beautiful. It's one of my favorite places in the world, but I felt like I really wanted to get the experience of New York. Um, and I'm, I mean, I love working and there's so much, there still is so much opportunity there. Any culture shock moving from Toronto to New York? Absolutely. Uh, it's a huge city, but it was really exciting. Um, I really liked the pace of it. It took me a while to get used to The subway was super complicated uh, finding an apartment was really hard, but once you get used to the massive noise, the crowds, the people, I really got to really like it. Biggest difference between working in media in New York and working in media in Toronto? So Toronto is getting more interesting, but at the time that I moved down there, there was really no comparison. The U.S. is still about a year and a half to two years ahead, and that gap was the same if not larger back then so in terms of like technology and and media like the brands in in the US spend a huge amount much more and then the technology is farther along so it it just made everything a little bit more interesting and exciting and there were tons of startups that were getting their feet and their traction in New York and in Silicon Valley or in in the west but there were, there wasn't the same entrepreneurial startup 
situation here in Toronto, um, which we currently do have with Waterloo and that whole belt around Waterloo, between Waterloo and Toronto and even like Pickering and stuff. You got to learn a lot. I mean, every single day I would have lunches or after work drinks with people at different companies and learn a ton about what they were doing. And we didn't have that kind of um, situation here in Toronto. Your second role in New York City was at Convergence Point Media. I find this one interesting because this agency worked exclusively on pharma clients. Yeah, I had met Mark while I was working at Cross Media. We were both working there. He was partnered up with uh, with Cameron and the team at Cross Media. Then he ended up launching his own thing, which was Convergence Point Media. I had gone on to to work at a couple of places, and then I ended up starting my own consultancy called Online Media Management. So I, again, worked for Mark in that capacity. We ended up working together for quite a lot of the years that I was in New York. The pharma business was also... It was a bit like the pay-for-play gaming industry in that it was very CPA-focused and very, very sophisticated on tracking costs and acquisitions and looking for quality traffic sources. And it was also a sensitive and highly regulated environment where, you know, we were we were dealing with some really touchy uh, health issues. I mean, there were campaigns focusing on cancer treatments and Um, There were different streams. Some of it was uh, advertising towards the patient or the physician or or sometimes the caregiver. Sometimes it was informational about symptoms, about conditions. It was very sophisticated. And also, really, uh, we had to be very, very careful. So it was another really good experience for me in terms of learning um, detail and and how to navigate a heavily regulated industry. So talk to us a little bit more about working on a pharma client. Having those kind of legal restrictions on what you can and can't say and where you can and can't advertise, does that mean you are really restricted in how creative you can be? Or does that force you guys to rethink what you can do to try to get ahead of those restrictions? It was, um, it was a good first crack at understanding audience segmentation and audience targeting in still relatively early years of audience targeting. At the time we would look through, it was a more manual media buying process. At that time we were using networks and things, but we would still go site direct. And that meant rounding up sites that were specifically directed at nurses or doctors or around certain conditions, blogs and things. So you, you did have to get creative. I think it was, it was more research focused and really, we had to really dig for quality places, um, placements as well as, as where the traffic would be. You already touched on it, but while you were in New York, you went out on your own and you started online media management. What motivated you to go out on your own and start something? I ended up quitting a job um, and having one of those New York moments where I'm like, okay, I've quit. Now what do I do? Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna strike out on my own. I'm going to just start working for myself. I think I was a little bit tired also of the industry. And I mean, we think we work a lot here, but I was definitely working 12 hours a day, every single day. So it was a bit of a relief. I just thought, okay, I'll take a break and um, and start my own thing. And it ended up being actually really fantastic. I, I had... I only needed about five clients um, to keep me at max. And then I would work with different um, consultants in the areas of paid social, search, um, reporting. Uh, I ran 
at Serving with Point Roll at the time. So I, I essentially functioned as an outsourced media planning, buying, trafficking, execution, reporting shop for media agencies and creative agencies. The creative agencies that didn't have any media expertise would use me to run everything end to end. And then the media buying agencies who needed extra help, like Convergence Point, would, would outsource work to me, and we kind of partnered up that way. It was, it was an excellent experience. It gave me, um, and I ran it for several years, and it gave me the ability to see big picture around the business overall. And it was a sort of mini agency. I, at one point, had about four to six contractors working with me on projects at the same time. And so I had to manage work with them. I had to manage work with the client. It's basically what we're doing now, just on a larger scale, and it's a slightly different world. It was a good learning experience, and I did get to travel a lot too. (laughs) I want to get to that in a second, but online media management, the name, very matter-of-fact and to the point. Is that what you were shooting for with the name? So back then, it was still online media or management or online media buying was still pretty new. And yeah, it was, uh, I think it was a classic name for a company of that era where you're very specific. I mean, if I had called it something like ugamu.com, nobody would have a clue what I was talking about. Some agency names, you say them to people at parties who aren't in our industry and you drop those names. They look at you sideways and go, what do they do? What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, You said you got to travel a bit. Where did you go? Oh, that was really fun. So I had two really great travel experiences while living, while working at my own company because it was remote. It was the dream that, you know, you, you think about then is, oh, I can work at home and then I can work f- from anywhere. And a lot of people do that. And I did that at the time. So I packed up my laptop and I went to, first I rented out my apartment in Manhattan and I moved to the Hamptons. So in New York, you can do these Hamptons shares where you put some money down and then you get a room or a bed at a beach house with 20 people that share it. And most people just use it on the weekends. So I bought a full share at a Hamptons house and I ended up just staying up there all the time. And it was great because I would work during the week and I would run on the beach and get to like live a nice beach life. And then on the weekends, everybody would show up with food and rosé and we would have a party and it was amazing. And then they would all go back to the city on Monday morning or Sunday night. And that was one of the best summers of my life, like living on the beach there. And I bought my first car there. It was awesome. Later, I ended up going to Costa Rica, which was great. Costa Rica at that time didn't have the best internet connection. So I stayed in Tamarindo. I mean, living there was an amazing experience. It was a little bit rough. Like I had to sometimes work in internet cafes. I had vines growing underneath my sink at one point. <laughs> it was it was crazy, but it was it was beautiful, and people came to visit. And I had three months down there, and it was close to the time uh, of New York. Like I worked usually seven in the morning or so. Complete opposite of the Hamptons, it sounds like. Kind of the same and kind of different. Opposite, but both had a beach, and yeah, it was it was amazing. After that, you returned to Toronto. What brought you back to the Great White North and Mindshare? So the crash happened, and at that time I was still in New York, and it was a very unsettling time to be in New York. It's very expensive to live there. I was working for myself, essentially, so I I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the economy, as everybody was, and going back to that Hamptons experience with all of those friends, um, most of the women seemed to be in advertising, and a lot of the guys were in finance, and all the guys had lost their jobs, and we were out for dinner, and stuff looking around the table going okay this is weird because all the advertising people have their jobs and all the finance people don't and it was it was just like a very interesting time to be in New York but it was also coming at the end of I had decided that I was going to be in New York for five years max and if everything was like green check marks all the way amazing amazing I would stay 
and if anything was missing, I would go back or find another place. And on the whole, everything was good, except the economy then had taken a downturn. Plus, I was wanting to start a family and settle down a little bit more, and that wasn't happening in New York. So I made the decision to move, but I ended up doing like a half-and-half situation where I would work in Toronto for a couple weeks and then work in New York for a week and then work in Toronto for a month and then work in New York for a couple weeks. And I, I managed all my clients that way, but pretty soon that got old because I really wanted a footing somewhere. And I wanted to get back into a larger agency environment because at this stage, things were changing again. Like um, I had no direct line into Google or Facebook, for example. Uh, social media analytics was a big thing, as was programmatic. It was taking off. And the resources that you get out of being at a big organization were really important at that time. I knew I was going to learn a lot and get a lot more exposure than I could get running a small business. So I made the decision to close up my business and to go back into a larger agency. So I ended up with Mindshare. When you landed back in Toronto, you had alluded to something earlier. You Actually, you said it outright that the pace was much quicker. The days were longer in New York. Did coming back to Toronto seem a little bit slower to you? Yeah, it took me a long time to get used to Toronto pace. It was, uh, it's hard to go from New York to Toronto. We have a much busier nightlife now, and there's a lot of great restaurants. But even then, while I was away, it wasn't, it wasn't quite the city that it is now. I had a huge apartment. I got a great place here in Toronto for a fraction of what I would pay in New York. And I also got a dog who I love. So working at home here was, was the best. But it did, it did take a while to get used to it. That's probably why I liked going back to New York so much. And part of the reason Mindshare brought you over was they were on board or you, you helped pitch and win Amex for them. Excitingly, part of that team with, um, with Karen, Lynette Wiley, um, Brian Fitzgerald, uh, Jeff Lancaster. And yeah, so we pitched and we won the American Express business at Mindshare. And then my job was supposed to be to run the digital, except the transition period was quite a long time. It took them six or eight months to transition and move the business. So um, the position that I had at Mindshare was a media analyst or something at the on the Unilever team, which was sort of just until the Amex thing worked out. And it wasn't it wasn't something that I could see doing after, you know, the first few months it got old quickly. But it was a conversation that would bring you to your role at Cadreon. How did that start? The one thing that was exciting on the Unilever team is that they were trying to figure out which um, programmatic strategy to go with. And at the time it was picking a partner, like a DSP partner. I thought that we were going to be able to run that out of Canada. And it turned out that the New York Mindshare team was going to take over execution for all of North America for Unilever, so that went away. But I had I had a little bit of experience working with Programmatic from uh, New York as well. So I had bought Programmatic campaigns not on a self-serve basis, only with a couple of small ones that don't even exist anymore. But essentially, um, not a lot of people in Toronto had experience with Programmatic at all. So even the little campaigns that I ran and most of the managed service buys that I bought and then an understanding of the DSP players out there was more than what people had here then. So I actually... most of those people came over the border from the United States. So you probably already had optics or knowledge of these companies before they even started knocking on Mindshare's door. Oh my God. Yeah. None of these places had offices here, um, at the time it took, it took a couple of years for them even longer sometimes. So I ended up getting a job at Cadrian after that. And that was probably the best thing that's happened to me in a, in a long time. And that started from just a simple conversation with their VP. 
Yeah, Rebecca Shropshire was interviewing me for another role and thought that it wasn't a great fit, and neither did I. But she was intrigued with the programmatic background and thought, and she said to me, she's like, oh, well, I actually have a job coming up that might be a good fit for you. So months later, I had actually talked to her before I started at Mindshare around the same time, and then um, months later she called me back, and she's like, actually, I have a role that I want to interview you for. And that was just at the time where I was getting frustrated with how much time it was taking on the Amex business, and I was getting a little bit unsure what, what was going on. So it was a great conversation, turned into a good thing. It goes back to what you'd said about New York, how they're two years ahead of Toronto. So you get parachuted into Toronto or you come back, and all of a sudden you're two years ahead of everyone just waiting for that opportunity to catch up to you. It was very lucky, yeah. You know you know, when you move to New York or when you move to the U.S. that you're getting an advantage in work. You, they, there's just so much more experience that you're going to get. So this was an example of how that paid off. Tell us a bit about your time at Cadreon. Cadrian was a really, and still is, a really great business. Um, I had a lot of fun there. Cadrian, so I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm a media person, and I'm a creative person. And Cadrian at the time was going through tremendous growth. It was similar to Mighty Hive. It's very similar in the stage it was then growing into other markets. It was becoming global. I got to be an entrepreneur. I got to be a creative thinker, and I got to be a business leader supported by a larger organization. So the the great thing about Kajarian that I always told people when they were getting hired too is it's it's like working for a startup, but you're supported with with funds and with infrastructure. So there was investments being made into Kadrian growth, which was great for us, so we could afford to hire people and invest in people. Um, yet at the same time, we had a lot of flexibility to try new things and test new platforms and, and really, like, however we wanted to get the business going forward, we could. So I had a really good time running that business, and I met some excellent people on the team there. I still really uh, adore them. How small was Cadre in Toronto when you started, and how big was it when you left? I was the first person. So, was, so you were employee one. Yeah. it was. My job was to build the Cadrian business. That was my job. So I was employee number one in May of 2012. And then in August, I hired Michelle Primrose. And then a, a bunch of people after that started to trickle in. Jennifer Pru, Aaron Ron, Alessia, Zinovivia. We had a lot of those people stay for quite a long time. Some of them are still there, actually. Uh, so their tenure exceeds mine. It was one person when I started, and then it was around 55 people when I left, although I also was asked to start the social business called Society at the time. So I had about a year and a half of managing Society in addition to Kadrian, um, and that grew from zero to 25 people before it was rolled into Reprise. So what brought you to Mighty Hive? Did you find the role, or did the role find you? The role found me. I think what was going on at Kadrian uh, at the time, there was a restructure with Reprise, so society went away. And also, uh, the trading desk was evolving. Um, there was a different... The business was a mature business, I guess. Where I was f- feeling was that I wanted to be at the forefront of change again. I think I'm probably a better suited... I'm, I'm better suited to being in an environment that's rapidly changing and going through a lot of growth. And it's often a very stressful place to be, but I, I still enjoy it. So what was interesting about Mighty Hive was that they were a new company relatively with the same age as Kadrian in Canada, but they were owner-operated. They were high growth. They were moving into new services. So we moved from having a, you know, a business that services mostly small agency on a self-serve basis or small clients or advertisers on sort of a support self-service model to doing like enterprise solutions and 
servicing huge brands like Bayer, for example, and in-housing. And then uh, more recently, when we had a merger with S4, the business is now going through another change, which is moving from a privately held owner-operated business to something that is publicly traded with a board of directors. So all of those things created, I mean, I didn't know about the S4 merger, obviously, when I started talking to them or when I joined, but just the, the change in, in the landscape as well, and, and not only moving from core services to enterprise consulting, um, but just for me, being more in the consulting space in general was something that was really intriguing, and that's not something that I was doing at Cadrian. So a little bit more education and empowerment then, client empowerment, we should say. Closer to clients going through in-housing was uh, was definitely appealing. That was one of my number ones. And also, Google has made some incredibly amazing changes in their engineering and in their tech stack. And I had been feeling like I wanted to be part of what I consider to be the next wave of value for our advertisers, which is in the full stack and an end-to-end solution. So at Cadrian, we were executing programmatic, that's true, but we were not looking, for example, into the web analytics. I mean, we were not looking at the client data. So it still was, to me, missing that end-to-end view. And I feel like for the next few years, clients are going to get the most out of out of being able to um, to get that end-to-end view and work with a partner that can also see that end-to-end view. Sometimes size matters. And when you go to a large agency where you do have groups that do different things, it can be very hard to pull that back into a small, like nimble solution. If you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would you say? Have more kids earlier, buy a house earlier. (laughs) I was 37 turning 38 when I had my kid and I adore her, but I always wanted a big family. So that's that. So, you know, but seriously on the, on the work front, I didn't have a plan when I started because obviously online media was not something that existed or digital was in such an infancy, infancy stage. But I I think I did a lot of things right. I think um, I was just really ambitious and interested and I worked really really hard like I worked two jobs throughout all my years in my 20s and my 30s when I was working I always had two jobs and then I finally just chose one that was media in my 30s because it it took over um, and it was you know a 12-hour day and it was but I think working really hard does pay off the more experience you gain the more you're going to learn the better you're going to be at whatever career you're in so I I think I I did that right without knowing it, just by delving into everything and getting the most out of what the opportunities that I had. I'm now in my 40s, and I think giving advice to my current self, I really have to pay attention to. Um, I know it's I hate using the words work-life balance. I know they're important, but it's very popular right now to be looking at you know your holistic self mm-hmm. and like who you are as a leader and um, making sure you have your personal time and whatever and. And I took a course a couple years ago in leadership, and it was surprising. It was at Rotman. Most of the content, I'd say like 40% of it, was about how to manage yourself as a leader and how to make sure that you're taking care of your health and your mental. And so that, that's been ringing true for me in the last few years. I had, I've been burnt out twice really badly once I got um, viral meningitis, and that was about three years ago. That's a that's an illness that you give to yourself. Like you get sick with a cold or something, and then if you're run down and you're, you know, off the deep end, you get something else. And so viral meningitis, it was terrible. I had spinal tap, and I had to 
rest for like two or three weeks and take time off work, but couldn't even look at a computer because it's a swelling of the brain lining, right? I was a wake-up call, but I, I didn't really listen. And then um, I had another issue just earlier this summer with so much stress that it was affecting the nerves in my in my head. <laughs> I know that sounds really weird, but like the, the nerves in my head, I thought I had like shingles because my face was all tingly and hurt to touch it. And um, anyway, I found out that that was because my back and my neck and everything, there was all this stuff going on with, with stress buildup. So um, I'm taking that more seriously. And I think as I move in, into this leadership space more comfortably, I also need to set a good example for the team. And I think it's really important to get the most out of your working years, I call them, which is maybe you're working like overtime in your 20s and 30s. But as you get older and you have a family, there's there's got to be some space for that. And so I now deliberately have to make sure that I carve out the space to take care of my life and my work. And that's it's a hard thing to do. My signature closing question, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why? I would be buying and renovating houses because I love Toronto houses and I love the neighborhoods in Toronto. Um, I would not flip them because I would prefer to keep them and rent them and keep updating them and stuff. But I, yeah, I think that's sort of a goal of mine that I'd like to try to do that slowly over time. Toronto houses are really expensive, but we'll see. I like the finished product after a renovation. I don't like the process. I love the process. I like, right now I'm doing my stairs and uh, a couple other things, new windows and stuff. And I'm picking out the new old posts and I'm looking at salvage new old posts to try and find something that fits with the old house that I have. It's, it's a nice little side hobby. I like it. Are you also sanding down the stairs and restaining them? Yeah. I'm not myself though this time. I hired somebody. <laughs> that dust gets everywhere. They have this machine where they suck up all the dust as they do it. They didn't when I tried it eight years ago. Mm. Or at least I didn't spring for it. That sucks. Tessa, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to soundcloud.com slash media people podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast service like Apple Podcasts or CastBox. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova.